Good afternoon. Oh, y'all can do all oh, that. Oh, God. Help me out, y'all. Y'all. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, we thank the Lord for his mercy and all of his grace uh, that he has given us to be able to be together and to be able to celebrate the, the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to keep a family lifted up today. Uh, it was a brother that used to go to Epiphany Fellowship probably, wow, five years ago or so now. Uh, he was, he's in the news. Uh, he, 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 he got hit by a train recently and, and was killed. And so uh, his name is David. Keep David lifted up in prayer. Um, hasn't been here for a long time, but he leaves behind a new wife and a baby. And so uh, keep his family uh, lifted in prayer. They lived in, in Jersey, and, and uh, they're investigating everything, but it was no foul play involved with that, just where he used to walk to, walk to work all the time. A, a, a young, young man who had an extreme high passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to we wanna keep them lifted up in prayer today. We also want to thank God for all that he's doing in, in this ministry and all that he's leading us up to. I, I'm excited about the small groups, our life groups starting this fall. How many of you excited about that? Yeah. Excited about life groups this fall? I'm really, really, really excited about God's mercy to continue to help us to be a community in Pastor Larry's leadership and helping us to make sure that that actually happens. Uh, the summit's coming up in a few weeks as well, and so the summit is, is a phenomenal time where there'll be urban leaders and missionaries from all over the country possibly the globe starting to come, and it's going, we're, going, we're going to cap it at about 300 people uh, so that it can be an intimate time, and it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal time of encouragement. If you are part of a, a church that wants to minister in its city and change it, not just as a leader, but as a particip participant, even as a congregant, you should be there as an opportunity. You can go to Thriving Summit. Dot .org and sign up, and it's going to be a phenomenal time. Our, our, uh, our theme this year is fight, um, is fight. We're going to be talking about everything from fight for your family, fight for your city, fight for gospel truth, and it's going to be, and fight for purity. How many of you need to fight for some purity? Oh, everybody should have been clapping their hands right there. And so I'm really excited about that opportunity and what God has done and what God is up to. Uh, also, next week, we celebrate seven years. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Brian Loritz, son uh, of one, one of my, my, my heroes in the, fa in the faith, uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz, his son is going to be with us next week. Phenomenal communicator. He's the founder and pastor, uh, one of the founding pastors of Fellowship Bible Church, Memphis, Tennessee. And so, he's going to be with us next week, killing it, both services, uh, both gatherings to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So come on through, bring a friend. It's going to be bananas. Also, Saturday, don't forget, bring that dish, all right? The one that people like, all right? Uh, don't forget about that. Don't bring any test items, all right? Bring things that have been proven, <laughs> proven by people who have good taste buds. Uh, bring that out, and we're doing it internationally because we have so many nationalities here. Uh, we want that represented, everybody from our Africans to our Latinos to, uh, 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 you know, folk from the Americas, different sectors of America, uh, and, and Canada and Europe. And so I'm excited about God's mercy to help us to be able to celebrate the diversity God has brought here. And the reason why that happened is because of the, the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to celebrate that. So uh, why don't we stand to our feet um, as we get into the scriptures? Uh, Genesis chapter 
18, verses 9 through 15. I'll start. You guys finish. Let's do it. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Keep going. For she was afraid. Amen, amen. I want you to look at the person on your left. I want you to say, is anything too hard for God? Look on the other side and ask them also, is anything too hard for God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, in light of that question, um, in light of that question, I'd like to talk about today in our last installment in our worship series, worshiping the limitless God. Worshiping the limitless God. Let's pray. Father, uh, you, you know how we are. We're fickle. Uh, and we need reminding and challenge to see you in light of who you are. <laughs> that, 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 is, that, is what, that is what it's about, Lord God, is seeing you in light of who you are. And Lord, we need to be expanded and we need to be challenged to recognize how huge you are, Lord God. And so, God, today, I, I pray that uh, you would take the limits off of us for people who have ended believing you for stuff and, and got to the point where we're not going to believe you for different things. Oh, we shouldn't do this, or we should. Lord, I, I just pray today that you would increase our audacity in relation to our faith in you. Lord God, that you would transform us and make us conduits for the glory of Christ. And so today, God, uh, in order for this to be done, for someone finite to try to talk about limitlessness is impossible without the infinite invading the finite. And so, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, when, I, uh, when my wife and I lived in our, our house in the Frankfurt section of the city, before we moved around here, we, we, uh, we had just a few things hooked up to our internet. And as we had a few things that were pulling on it to utilize it for internet access, uh, it, it, was, it was great speed and, and, and everything was working fine until you know, we got another uh, computer, another iPad, another phone and all of that. And as we began hooking it up uh, uh, to it and people would come over to the house, they'd ask for the code to our internet, uh, the internet began to slow down. And, and we didn't know at the time the reasoning behind why the internet began to slow down. Uh, but, but, but we called in our service provider. And, and when we called in our service provider, our service provider came out and did a test on, on our, uh, on, on at the time, a term that I didn't know and understand. Uh, he did a test on our bandwidth. 
And, and, and bandwidth is the ability for an internet server to be able to facilitate uh, many things being hooked up to it so that it can move with precision and speed from site to site and be able to download stuff. So what he began to do is he gave us a boost, if you will. It, it, he, he set up this boosting system that expanded the bandwidth uh, of, 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 of our internet server in order that it could service more, download, download more, and have more of an ability to handle a greater weight of things than it did before. Well, every one of us as believers need our bandwidth expanded. Our bandwidth needs expanding in relation to our belief that God can do what he says he would do no more, no less than what he said he could do. And, and so therefore, being a believer in Jesus Christ and trusting him as Savior is a process by which God is expanding our bandwidth at the cost of Jesus Christ, amen somebody, uh, to grow and expand our ability to see how massive he actually is. Now the thing about it is God, listen you guys, God isn't the one that needs his bandwidth expanded. Because the Bible says that from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6, the temple that they built didn't have enough bandwidth to contain them. So they said the heavens, matter of fact, the Bible says that the highest of heavens can't contain God. So the universe, I don't even, the universe can't contain the massiveness of God. And so God has given us the ability to see him, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we see into a glass dimly. So, 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 there, so therefore, there is a need for God to grace us with opportunity and with growth to see him as more massive and to not just see him as more massive, but believe him based on what's in his will that he'll do, that he'll do exactly what he said he would do. And so when I was in, when I was in college, um, what started me on this journey of challenge for me is when I was in college, you know, I, I trusted Christ as Savior uh, under the United Methodists, who we call the Frozen Chosen. And, and, and they were fun. They came out and they preached the gospel to, to me, heard the gospel, killed it. I was boom. I was ready to go. Then they dipped. So this group of people I ain't never heard of. They were called the charismatics. I ain't never heard of them. I didn't know what a charismatic, an evangelical, a covenant, I didn't know what none of that was. All I knew is I loved Jesus and I wanted to serve him and I read the Bible four hours a day. All right, that's all I knew. And, and I believed that whatever was in that Bible, he could do. And, and, so, and, so, and so these people came along, and they believed that God could do whatever. I mean, we would pray all night. I mean, we literally, we'd go in the student union and be up all night praying, and God would just do stuff. Folk was getting saved. Lives was getting transformed. Then all of a sudden, things got weird. Something happened in Toronto, uh, and then when that Toronto thing happened, all of that stuff began to come in where they started doing holy laughter stuff. So they would say the Holy Ghost led them to laugh in the spirit. And I was, so they started laughing, ha, ha, folk barking like dogs and carrying on. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, and so for me, things got real. I, I said I was okay with the tongues and interpretation thing. Now I'm lost with the, with the barking and the laughing and, the, and calling it the spirit. So I'm trying to look in my, now you know me. I'm looking, in, I'm like, so did anybody ever bark when the spirit of God showed up? Did anybody ever laugh in the spirit hysterically? When, did anybody go and just do like this, all this stuff? And I was just like, I was, I was kind of concerned. And so because of that, the Baptists started discipling me. So, and they, they had beats us. Now, mind you, the charismatics knew the fundamentals of, I mean, they killed it. They taught me, because I was a modalist, which means I believe God became the 
Father, Son, Spirit, but they're not simultaneous existence. The, uh, the, the, the charismatic church taught me Trinitarianism, taught me salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ, taught me sanctification through the gospel, taught me inerrancy and infallibility, all of those different solid doctrines. But then all of this other stuff began coming in, and I began to back away from it, and I threw out some of the non-essential things that were good for me out with them because of the nonsense that I felt. And so I went over here and I started enjoying the theology and the doctrine that the Baptists were teaching me to the point where I went to seminary for a four-year master's degree to learn Hebrew, Greek, and all this different stuff. But then I began to feel extremely constricted because I, be- because I started feeling like God couldn't do nothing. In other-, in other words, God can only do things that we can exegetically control. And so there were things he didn't do no more. And so what I, what I had over here was triumphalism, but then over here I had defeatism. Now, now, now triumphalism, they emphasize the resurrection and forget about the cross. Defeatism emphasizes the cross but forget about the resurrection. Now the issue is, is the, the, the cross reminds you that hell is going to take place on earth. Because pain is going to happen and challenge is going to happen. The resurrection tells you that trouble won't last always. The problem with triumphalists is they didn't think any trouble ever happened. In other words, God heals everybody and you can have eternal life without dying. The defeatism people were so into their total depravity that God didn't do nothing because everything depended on them. And so I'm in this season of life where I'm sick of both. And, I, and, and, and I'm saying, God... I want to have theological weightiness that never goes away based on your word. And that theological weightiness is only as sound in my, fun- in my life functionally as I believe you for everything that you said you'd do. And so, what I, and so, so it doesn't take away the issues and, and it doesn't overemphasize that you'll never get out of issues. But it means that you'll go through a gospel cycle in life where difficulty will happen and resurrection will happen. Crosses will happen, resurrections will happen over and over and over again. We're in a already but not yet. That means everything that God is going to do, he hasn't done yet or there's nothing to be impressed with him about. If every, oh, y'all missed that. If everything in the eschaton happens now, then we ain't got nothing to look forward to. But if nothing happens now, we don't have any trailers to look forward to what's going to happen. And, 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 so, and so I need both. I need both. I need both. And so, and so what, what, what began happening to me is I began seeing that God is limitless, limitless still. Yeah. Yeah. He does small things that are magnificent, and he does massive things that are magnificent. Because Zephaniah 4.10, Zechariah 4.10 says, don't, uh, uh, don't despise the small things, Right? So there are small things that he's going to do that he'll surprise you with. But then the Bible also says that he'll do great and mighty things. But both of them are equally mighty because the one who did it has no limits. I wish I had some help right there. And so we come over to Genesis chapter, we come to Genesis chapter 18, and, and we come here where they're, they're, this, is, this is the bottom of the barrel, if you will, of challenge and, 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 and believe what God shows up saying, I, 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 I'm, I want to show my people that I'm limitless, and there's nothing that can get in the way of what I want to do. And so, and so, which brings me to my first point, is that God removes the limits of our expectations of him. God removes the limits off of our expectations of him. <clears throat> Look right here in the text, it says, they said to him, where is your wife Sarah? This is hilarious. And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said to him, I will. Somebody say, I will. Let me tell you something. 
you better always watch out when God says, I will. When God says, I will, whatever comes after it means that he's putting the onus on him to do. Let me say that again. Whenever God says, I will, he puts the onus on himself and his character and his name to do. The challenge with us is, is, is believing what God said he would do. Now, there are conditional and unconditional promises. There are promises that depend on our participation with what God said he would do. But there are promises that has nothing to do with us, but it's all on God to get done. And so God has made an unconditional covenant with Abraham that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. But the issue in the process is, is Abraham is dealing with limits in his life. Sarah's dealing with limits in her life that, that, that looks like this God, because they don't, they, they don't have any, let me tell you something, they don't have a Bible at all. All they have is some encounters theophanies with God and some stuff that he said and he keeps going away and coming back in the form of the pre-incarnate Christ. And so they only have a, a little bit of information uh, to, to, to go on. And, and so what God shows up to do is God does it over and over and over and over again. And so if you go to Genesis chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, verse 7 was the first time God promised Abraham what he was going to do. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. In Genesis 13, 16, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. In Genesis chapter 15, 5 and 6, he, say, he says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Genesis 17, 4 and 5, he says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. Then he goes down in Genesis 17, 15, and 16. He says, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but her name shall be called Sarah. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Uh, 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 all the way through all of these different experiences, we see God revealing himself to Abraham. Now, what's interesting, though, is God, when he gives a promise, he never talks to you about the process. He, God, listen, listen, there's only one prophet. There's only one person in the Bible he told what it was going to be like. And, 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 and he said, ain't nobody going to listen to you. He told Jeremiah, they ain't even going to listen to you. He said, he said I'm going to send you out there, and you're going to preach your face off, and not nary a person going to listen to you. He said, but it's all a part of my plan and what I want to do. But, but, but what's interesting is if God gave you a sneak preview of what's between promise and fulfillment, you wouldn't believe him in the first place. Listen, listen. If God took out the HD 3D player from glory and said, this is what the process is going to be like. See, that's why you can't have a triumphalistic theology, because God, there is no such thing as microwave discipleship. <laughs> no such thing. You can't lay hands on somebody. They fall on the ground and they're sanctified fully and everything's going to be all right. Do I believe in laying on hands? Yeah, but I don't believe it fixes everything. Wish I had some help right there. Listen, you're going to have to go through some stuff, and God is going to walk you through that stuff. But what's powerful is, is while you go through the stuff, he kept bringing the promise back up to him over and over and over again. And the longer he walked with God, the clearer the promise became. Oh, y'all missed that. 
See, see, when he first, when he first brought up the promise to him, he said, you're going to have offspring. But he didn't tell you how he was going to do it. Many times when God gives you a promise, he never tells you how, but he always gives you the what? <laughs> and, 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 and many times when we hear the what, we try to make a how. When you try to make a how when God gave you the what, you're getting in the way of the what because God wants to show you how. Y'all not with me? And so Abraham, you know, one day, you know what I'm saying, you know, wifey said, I guess this is the way the Lord's going to do it. And so she's like, you know, and so she said, I'm going to give you my servant Hagar. And he like, you know, late 90s and carrying on Hagar, you know, a little something, something walking around. You know, he's, she's like, baby, I want to give you, he's like, he's like, you sure about that? I mean, uh, I don't, okay, I mean, if you insist, uh, guess we'll go in this tent and, you know, he, he didn't like fight, you know, <laughs> fight for it to happen. But ever since he made that decision, for 3,500 years, we've been dealing with the sons of Ishmael. Uh, the, 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 I hate to say this, but the World Trade Center wouldn't have happened if Abraham wouldn't have went in that tent. Y'all missed that right there. Don't, don't, listen, whenever you try to do things on your own, you create historical mess that could have been avoided if you'd have just believed the Lord. <laughs> and, and so God, God I, I like the fact that God came to him. Abraham didn't come to God. Did you see that? See, many, in, in God's promises, God always comes to us. He condescends comes to us. That's what happened in this passage when God incarnates through the Christ and comes to Abraham because we're the ones sitting back waiting and needy for what he has to do. And God, whenever God comes to us, he always has to step down to do it. Don't you ever think you're going to upgrade God. God upgrades you. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to, I got to keep going. Uh, 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 what's interesting is, and I walk with Jesus Christ and and in our development in him, uh, uh, you know, God is always trying to grow us in recognizing how limitless he is. Even Jesus Christ, you know, all of the stuff Jesus showed his disciples, he was always working to take the limits off of who they believed he was. And so one day, you know, they get on the, they, they get on the sea, and Jesus goes and takes a nap in the sailboat. He's chilling in the sailboat. <clears throat> A storm comes. Now, y'all got to recognize, you know, just to give you context. I remember somebody took me on a speedboat, and they stopped it in the middle of the water. Now, and I, I, I don't get seasick, but I don't like that rockage, all right? That rock thing, I, I don't, I don't, re- I, I got, the boat got to be real big where if it rock, I'm okay because the water ain't like right there, right? And, 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 and so he told me the depth was 300 feet. I almost had a heart attack that we was in that kind of water. But the water was just shaking a little bit. But they're in a, they're in a sailboat, not a, not a cruise ship, a sailboat, and a storm comes, and the, and the, and the water is shaking. And the, Bible, and the Bible says water was coming onto the ship. Jesus is asleep, and water splashing on him while he's asleep on the ship, and he, he was getting him a good, some good sleep. Now, the disciples wake him up and say, don't you care that we are perishing? In other words, the assumption is because a storm happened, you don't care about us. Wish I had some help right there. And, but, 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 but Jesus stands up, wet up from the storm, as well as the water from the outside of the boat, and says, peace, be still. And, I, and he made peace, be still. And, 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 said, and immediately the storm ceased, and calm came, and guess what they said? Who is this? 
Who is this that the winds and waves even obey? We saw him do some stuff, but winds and waves, he didn't even say winds and waves. He just said, peace be still. He didn't even talk to the winds and the waves. He talked to the weather and the water responded. Oh my God, help me today. In, in other words, in your walk with Jesus Christ, he's always progressively helping you to recognize who he is. And if you're not renewed in that, you're going to always falter when he makes a promise. You're always going to be frustrated. When, in other words, God is expanding your bandwidth to love him. He's expanding your bandwidth to live for him. He's expanding your bandwidth to not just for you to get something. I, I, I'm, it, it, it's, the best thing that you get out of your theology is not possessions, but the possessor. You can get all the stuff you want, and it'll make you forget about the possessor just because you got the possessions. Possessions don't make you. I hate when preachers say, man, the reason why we got to be wealthy is so that unbelievers can see that God provides. Miracles never created faith. Never. Show me one miracle that caused belief to happen. Listen, there has to be something that's beyond circumstance that causes you to believe. So, so Jesus is in their face. But what's interesting about this which weird to me is what the Bible, Paul gives a commentary in, or you don't have to turn it, Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, of what happened to Abraham between chapter 12 and all the way to his death in the chapter, about around the chapter 22, right? It says, in verse 18, it says, in hope he, talking about Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And he, has, he, he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he, he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, <laughs> since he was about 100 years old. He went 100. He was 100. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew. Somebody said he grew. He grew stronger in his faith. That's crazy. Now, it looks like when you read this passage, that, that when we see further, that, that he's walking in, un, in full-fledged unbelief. But you don't recognize what, what being in the faith is. Being in the faith in, in, in God through Jesus Christ is to be a recovering unbeliever. We, the church is a rehab of unbelievers who are growing out of being addicted to unbelief. So that's why every now and then we have a belief relapse. Y'all lost right there. In other words, you, you, see, y'all thought you thought your drug rehab relapse was a relapse. Your, that wasn't a relapse. It was belief that was a relapse. Because when, when you have unbelief as your drug, because it's what takes place when we stop believing that God can do what he says he can do, and we allow issues to get in the way of that, we go into the need to go into unbelief to protect ourselves from the goodness of God, which you can't do, which brings me to my last point. I got to move. God's, limits, God's limitlessness is magnified in the midst of obstacles. It's crazy. Now check out what the text says. It says, the Lord said, I will surely, I like that, return to you about this time next year. He gives her a timetable. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him. Now check this out. Now, now Sarah is listening. Now, the fact that God showed up with two angels 
and you stayed in the other room is a whole bunch of issues for me. It's hard to see. Now, you got to reckon, God is there. Like, we're not talking about the Joneses from down the street. We're not talking about, like, you know, the young boy. You talk, we're talking about God came from heaven, and he's in the other tent next door. Now, this tells you about where she is now. Because in their culture, when somebody came, you would immediately wash their feet and you would immediately make sure that they had preparation because they made a journey. She don't know where they traveled from because God never told them I came from heaven, right? So they don't know if it's like heaven's on the other side of the earth. They don't know. So he shows up. They don't offer him no water, no food or nothing. She's just in the tent listening like, God done said this a hundred times. He done said over and over and over again, I ain't even going to welcome him this time. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to stay in here and I'm going to listen to see what happens. It's interesting that after you, when you, you can get tired of the promises of God and not want the presence of God. And she just stood there and listened, like, I'm going to see what God has to say and what he's going to talk about. But she, she, she's just on the other side of that thing. And, and it's interesting what the Holy Ghost does. Now, now, it's not somebody saying this. It's now under the superintendent of the Holy Spirit. God gives a commentary of what's going on with her. Then you hear her response to what God already knew what was going on with her when he talks about it, right? Check it out. <clears throat> so, 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 so it's not like God didn't know she was listening. But it's interesting, before I go on, that God said, where is your wife? It's interesting. God never, God doesn't need a GPS to find anything. When God asks somebody, where are you, he's trying to show you where you are. He wasn't asking geographically where she was because he knew, you're going to see in a minute, that he knew where she was, but he wanted to know if they knew where they were. I wish I had some help right there. Whenever God, when, listen, listen, when God, when God went out to see Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't looking for Adam per se. He wanted Adam to know where he was because he had to ask where he was. Because usually if God came around, Adam would have been like, what's up, God? But this time he was hiding. Therefore, God called out to him to show him his different disposition towards his relationship with him. So also in this passage, Sarah's being shown where she is. And she heard God asking about her. She didn't say, if the tent is next door and she's listening, she could have said, I'm right here. She didn't say a word. She stayed there and listened, not knowing that God is omniscient. He knows everything. So God has to take the limits. Off. You can't eavesdrop on God and God not know that you're right there. So the limits have to be taken off of her because you can't sneak around and hide from God because everything is open to him. David says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? If I go to hell, you're there. If I go over to the other side, you're everywhere. When, when you don't believe the promises of God, basic theology becomes obsolete. And so then God lays out the obstacles. I like this. <laughs> it says, here's the commentary. It says, now Abraham and Sarah were old, <laughs> advanced in years. Stop right there. Now, it's not just saying they senior citizens. Not saying that. It's saying they old in a mug. That's what the text is saying. The text is saying, we, we, like y'all got to understand, my parents had me at 50 years old. Right? I was 50. My mom was walking around 50 years old with me. Right? You know what I'm saying? Walking around with me. Weird. She said, people used to weird people out. All my life, people thought my parents were my grandparents. How your grandparents do? I was like, this is my parents, man. Or they'd be like, oh, my bad, my bad. Be be because my parents, oh. But my mom was 50. Abraham is 99, going on 100. And Sarah 
is 90. God waited. Waited the longest amount of time to where there couldn't be nothing left. I ain't talking about nothing. I'm talking about nothing. Nothing left. And that's when he wants to show up. They were all, I mean, they're knocking on the door of death and God gives them a promise. Help me, God, today. <laughs> You're knocking on the door of death and God wants to start your life over. Oh, my God. You're, what are you knocking on the door of right now in your life? Then God said, this is the point right here where I want to start everything over again in your life. Help me today, God. At the point where you give up, God is going to show up. Wish I had some help right there. And, 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 so, and so Sarah's listening. And so Sarah's listening, and, and it says, and it says, and it's, this, I like the, the Bible has a very modest way of wording things. Look, look, look what it says after it says they old in the mug. It says, it said, the way of women ceased to be with Sarah. That's such, that's so, that's like, that's like an Englishman serve something, saying something crazy without saying it in a way that you would take it wrong. It's like the way of women was not with Sarah anymore, right? In other words, <clears throat> She went through premenopause, paramenopause, menopause, postmenopause, postpostmenopause. Right? You know what I'm saying? She, she, ain't got, she ain't got nary an egg left. No eggs. No, all them eggs went to good night, right? She ain't got no more. I, I, was, I was watching R&B Divas, right? Shut up. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so one of the ladies on there went to a fertility specialist. He said, you only have a few more eggs left. And so he said, I can't promise anything, but you have a few more eggs left, and we have to inseminate very, very fast in order to save this egg, because after the eggs are gone, there's nothing. But what, when God is promising, her is crazy. Because in order for her to get pregnant, he has to take her backwards through menopause. Y'all ain't hear that. And he has to create a new egg. Now, I don't think God created a bunch of eggs because he's fly. And, and, so, and so he, crea he created, he cre oh, God, help me. He, let, let me read what the text says. Listen to what she says. She says, now when she hears, when she hears that she says, <laughs> she says, so Sarah laughs. Sarah busts out laughing. Because Sarah knows what has to happen in order for her to have a baby. Now, check out what, what it says. It says, after I am worn out. Now, that means all my vitality gone. I ain't got no movement left, no mobility, nothing, right? But then, stop it, y'all. And it says, <laughs> then she said, my, my, my Lord is old. She called him Lord, but she said he ain't got nothing left. You know, God will have to crank him up and get him going. I mean, God help us, right? And she said, shall I have pleasure? This is key. When she said, shall I have pleasure again? She's not just talking about sexual pleasure. It includes that. But she's basically saying, when I had the expectancy, when I was younger, to have children, the word here means to restore. The word here for uh, 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 pleasure is, is, the, is the Hebrew word edena, which in its lexical form means Eden, which Eden means fertility and, and fully in the will of God of where things should be for everything to work. In other words, and she's saying, can God restore my passion that I originally had to have children that I gave up on, can he actually put me in? And not only that, 
I'm in my later years. Will I be able to watch my kids grow up or am I just going to have another ki- a kid and just die? In other words, can God give me the full circle pleasure in a dead point in my life that I gave up on 40 plus years ago? It's been 40 plus years where she's given up having children. But God, 40 years later plus, says now I'm going to do it. And it's interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting because God waits to this point in a phenomenal way. And many times in our lives, <clears throat> the thing that we give up on is the thing that God wants to use to, res- to re-spark his limitlessness in our minds towards him. She says, shall I have pleasure again? Can God do this over again? God would have to, listen, this is what God would have to do. God would have to put an egg there. He would have to revitalize testosterone ministry in, in, in my man's life, among other things. In order for her to carry the baby, varicose veins got to go away. Now, and her, her, if she got arthritis or whatever, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, I forgot the other one where you bend over like that. I forgot the osteoporosis, whatever. I don't know what she got. We talking about, imagine, go to the nursing home tomorrow. <laughs> Take your pick of the oldest person in there and say hi, Sarah, in your mind to her. <laughs> and I want you to think about God restoring that person in a wheelchair, slumped over, to youthful vitality to be able to carry a baby. Because in order to carry a baby, she had to have her body revitalized in a way to be able to carry the baby where it was still painful childbearing, it was still a pregnancy's pregnancy. Some of y'all ladies in here that have been pregnant. Imagine 99 and pregnant. Y'all talking about it's hot in the summertime and all of that kind of stuff. I don't want to be pregnant. I'm going to make sure I put things together so that, you know, we have a winter pregnancy versus a summer pregnancy and all that kind of Just um, forget about all this seasons. We talking about not weather season. We talking about life season. And God not only does that, he gives her one egg. Let's just say, because I, I, I'm pretty sure he did it on the flyest scale ever. And said, I'm going to give him one shooting chance, and it's going to bat out. I mean, you got to understand, it's, do you know how many, how many sperm goes after an egg? God, it, listen, people young using the rhythm method trying to get pregnant, not pregnant, and can't get pregnant. And they, God supernaturally reopens a womb gives them the ability to have sex and it be enjoyable and have a baby in one shot. It's incredible. But that's the limitless God. It's God loves to challenge you in the area that you've given up on. In that very place that you've given up on, he wants to use as a resurrection opportunity for seeing him more powerfully. Whatever God blesses you with and whatever miracle God does, miracles are never about man. Never. It's never about man and man's glory. That's why when I see healing crusades, they always point to the person and the, and every, and the healing is all obscure. See, healing was clear. But somebody got here, was, I'm talking about not, not they sitting on something, the leg looked like it jumped out or something like that. Somebody sitting there, you don't know if they, it's always something, I'm talking about like show me, like when the healing happened, it was all, dude, Jesus, listen, Jesus healed the guy. Peter cuts off his ear, ear is on the floor. Jesus touches his ear, it restores, and the earpiece is still on the floor. That's a miracle. That, that's a miracle right there. A dude with a withered hand, he put it out towards Jesus, and it healed. You know what I'm saying? A dude that couldn't see, eyes gray, plat out. He got blue eyes now. I'm just like, wow, that's a miracle. 
See, when God does something, but he does it to not point to man, but he always does it to point to himself. And any theology that doesn't unleash the limitless nature of God is not sound theology. If, if, if any theology that overextends the hyper-limitations of what God can and won't do, it's not good theology. And so as she ceased in her place in life and has gone through a different place in life and God has done what he's done, he goes here and he says, after she said what she said to herself, he says, the Lord said to Abraham, why does your wife laugh? And say, shall indeed, shall I, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? In other words, he asked, she asked that question in her heart, and God expresses it on the outside. But then he asked the question of questions. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? Now, now it's a rhetorical question, because there's not. But the issue is, our unbelief thinks that it is. Now, let's understand what we mean by is anything too hard for God. God only does, I go through the catechisms with my kids in the, in the, in the smaller ones, and one of, the, one of the things we talk about is the limitless nature of God as we read it. And you know, can God, one of the questions we ask, can God do anything? And the answer that my, that my son's supposed to ask, God can do anything that's in his will. In other words, God is not limitless in that he's, he's going to sin, he limits himself in that way. But really, it's not a limitation. It's a reflection of holiness, right? And so, and, so and, and God is limitless to do a lot of things, but he doesn't always do the thing that you're believing him for. And that doesn't make him less God. Let me say that again, because someone said, I've been believing God for this. God didn't necessarily promise you that he was going to do that. Somebody asked me uh, after, the, after this gathering, they said, they said, how do you know the promises of God? I said, I said I, I, and they said, how do you know, what, you know in relation to so and Rebbe? I said, I said, listen, the Bible says, doesn't, never tells us exactly what we'll reap. It just tells you to sow. The reaping is up to the limitless God, and it's always going to blow your mind. That's why he says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, not you can, but all you ask or think. According to the power that is at work in you, may to him be glory in the church. In other words, God is looking, he's, he's, he's a God of a lack of limitations, and no one in this world can put a limit on the living God. Where in your life have you put a limit on him? And he's asking you right now, is there anything too hard for me? What shackle have you put on the living God that God wants to unleash on your life? You know, one of the things as we connect with his promises and live in light of his promises, it reminds me when we first moved to Houston, and, and, and they, I mean, I, I, you know, I heard about Houston having oil and all of that. But as we were driving and we got near to Houston, we saw these, these pump jacks going like this. You know what I'm saying? They were going like this. And I had never seen one of them joints. So I started studying them. You know, I'm a nerd. So I started studying them. And what's interesting, what's interesting about the pump jacks is that there's oil way down in there that they know is there. But the issue is they got to get the oil from down there up here. So what the pump jacks do is the pump jacks create pressure to push the oil up. Now, they don't, they don't, don't they, now just because they started pumping doesn't mean the oil is gonna come up immediately. They don't usually know how much pressure is necessarily gonna take to get the oil up. All they know is they gotta set up the pump jack and leave it on. If they turn it off, they'll lose pressure. And it pushes the oil coming away farther. 
But what they have to do is they have to leave it on, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. And at some appointed time, unknown to them, the oil begins to come up, and they can receive the oil, but they got to keep on pumping. They got to keep on pushing, and they got to keep on making it go 24-7. That's what it's like to walk with Jesus Christ. God has promises, a wealth of promises, deep and rich promises, but you got to keep pumping. You got to keep moving towards the living God, and you got to keep walking in faithfulness towards God because God is good enough that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He might not come like the old preacher said when you want him, but he'll be right on time. You, you got to be able to recognize that nothing in your life can limit what God wants to do. However, God wants to use you with your faith to connect with what he wants to do in order to see what he wants to do to come past. And so you got to keep on moving forward. If God, God's promises may be delayed, but they're never denied. That's why it says, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. But do not be weary in well-doing. But do not be weary in well-doing, for in due time, he will, you will reap if you don't faint. What's beautiful about that is God never, God doesn't usually tell you due time. He just tells you to be faithful. <laughs> See, people that tell you you're going to get a Lexus next week, that ain't due time. The people that promise you that in three days everything going to be all right, that's not due time because it never happens, but people be shouting. But due time is when God due times it. We can just promise people that he ain't come yet, but one day he's going to come and he's going to take care of everything. But then there's some things that we won't get until Jesus come back. And the question on the floor, there's some problem. Matter of fact, most of God's promises won't be fulfilled until Jesus comes back. But does that make this life much less? No, it doesn't. It makes this life more because that means the treachery of this life isn't the only thing that I got to look forward to. But one day he's going to come back and he's gonna, there's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more dying. There's not going to be any more sickness. There's not going to be any more bills. There's not going to be any more hailstorms. There's not going to be any more frustrations. There's not going to be any more bitterness. There's not going to be any more hate. There's not going to be any more guilt. There's not going to be any more greed. There's not going to be anything bad ever again because God will be all and in all and through all, and his tabernacle will be among us, and we will get to spend eternity with him forever. That's the glorious promise. It's the glorious promise of God. But just because he hasn't shown you everything doesn't mean he's more, not more than everything. So I pray that where you are, whatever you stop believing God for, that he may revitalize you to stop pumping again. Pumping towards his promises. Pumping towards his word. And what's beautiful about that is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's work, Jesus Christ lived in light of this principle. All through his 30 years, 33 years before he died and was raised from the dead, and that promise helped him through temptations with Satan. That promise him, helped him through issues of man who abandoned him. Because if you look throughout the whole of Jesus Christ's life, the promises of God is what kept him. The promises of God is what he always brought, even on the cross. His last word of saying to Telestai, it is finished, meaning all of the things that God said through his word is complete. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. In other words, when we've completed walking in the promises that he had for us, then Jesus Christ went into the eternality of the promises and he'll return again. And so today, 
maybe you've never believed in the first promise that those who believe in him shall not be disappointed. Believe in who? Jesus Christ. That his, but God's wrath was satisfied for us on the cross. God's wrath to destroy sinful man was satisfied through the death of Christ. And that those who repent and believe that Christ's death was sufficient and that he got up from the grave goes from spiritual death to spiritual life. Every head, every head bow, every eye closed.